Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast. We will continue our series, Resolve. So Resolve, here's the way we defined it last week as we kicked off this series, and I would encourage you to write this down. But to have a resolve is to make a firm decision with a fixed purpose. It's a firm decision. Uh, we, we think about people in Scripture like Joshua where he makes this firm decision with a fixed purpose where he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That, that's a decision, right? And, and so when it comes to our lives, uh, there's so many things that war at our soul and so many things in this culture that will try to pull us away from things that truly matter. And we all have to fight to make a firm decision every day that I'm going to follow the Lord Uh, I've got a fixed purpose. My purpose is to be the man that God wants me to be, the woman that God wants you to be. It's got to be a very fixed purpose to say, I'm here to glorify God, to know God, to enjoy God. That's my purpose. And we we have to fight to stay focused every day. Every one of us do. Uh, Again, there's so many things that are going to try to pull you away from that. it's, it's, It's interesting when you study, for me, even the life of Jesus, okay? And when it comes to this thing of living with this, this fixed uh, purpose, this firm decision and determination of the soul, when you study the Gospels, I've pretty much built my life on the Gospels and the Gospel teachings of Jesus and uh, the epistle writings that God would use Paul to write. But I was thinking about this this week. If Jesus would have lowered his standards... And if Jesus had not have been so firm with some of his sayings and his teachings, and if he, if he would have been just a little nicer to religious people, I think he could have had more followers. I think he could. And when you read the Gospels, his teachings are heavy, they're confrontational, they're countercultural. Jesus comes out of the gate, Sermon on the Mount, and he makes this statement. You've heard it said, but I say to you. And then he makes these like hard sayings, statements. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you'll have no part with me. It says that many departed him and go, whoa, this is too heavy. I mean, the sayings of Jesus, right? Hey, hey if you're, if you're going to come after me and be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself daily and take up your cross and follow me. Like, Jesus is this heavy right there, this hardcore. Hey, hey if you really love me, you're going to feed the poor. I don't want to do that. I mean, that's costing me something. Or when somebody wrongs you and they come at you and attack you, turn the other cheek. It's like, no, I want to retaliate. I want to fight. I mean, you start to read this and you go, Jesus, lower your standards a little bit. Don't be so hard. And then, then he, he says stuff like this. He goes, uh, Richard, hey, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And, and then he even goes here where he goes, you've got to be willing to hate your family and love me more. These are all things that Jesus said. And you're like, Come on, you're asking for too much. Or at least that's the way so many people think about it, right? Hey, Jesus, I got a game plan for you. We've learned this over the last years, especially in the Southern culture. Just ask people to pray a prayer and attend church occasionally. 
No, but you say, if we're going to follow you, we got to surrender everything to you. If you tell us that we're really going to be your children and, and really be kingdom players and disciples, that we've got to follow you only. Think about it. And Cindy, this is kind of like where we discuss and interact things, right? How many modern-day churches would have Jesus come in as a guest speaker? But yet we say that we're all about Jesus, and we say that we're the church of Jesus Christ. Like, how many would have him come in with these kind of teachings? But yet this is the Jesus I follow. This is my Savior and the tension we have is, if I really follow Jesus, I'm going to have to grow up. And I don't want to grow up. Because I read a saying one time that said, you can only be young once, but you can be immature forever. And I like being immature. Do I really have to grow up? And, and if I really follow you, I'm going to have to give up. I'm going to have to give up some of my bad habits and some of this lifestyle that's in contradiction and opposes even who you are, your standard of holiness, Jesus. If I follow you, I'm going to have to love other people that I don't like, and I'm going to have to give, and I'm going to have to serve, and I'm, I'm going to have to forgive. And, and, and I can't stay bitter and resentful all my life. And uh, And Jesus has had all these conversations with so many people throughout the pages of Scripture, and he's calling them to all-out surrender. And so many of these conversations and teachings, these guys that we call his disciples, these 12, have been right there hanging out with him. You get to the last 72 hours of Jesus' earthly life in John 13 and 14 kind of capture this and, and you get there and Jesus is like right at the end He knows the cross is right before him and he's looking at his disciples John 13 14 He does the unthinkable The unimaginable he washes their feet He humbles himself and shows them that hey the kingdom God is about serving and loving and you go wow and, and Peter struggled with that big time. The others did as well. And then he breaks bread and has that last supper in communion. And he's like, one of y'all is going to betray me. And, and then you keep reading along and he's like, hey, hey, don't be troubled. Don't, 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 don't freak out. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one's coming to the Father except through me. Stay with me. These are the last hours. And, and then he says, hey, I got good news for you. I'm going to send the Paracletos, the Helper, the Holy Spirit's coming. God in you is going to comfort you. So you read through John 13 and 14, and you get to the last verse of chapter 14, verse 31. And Jesus says, uh, but so that the world might know how thoroughly I love the Father, I'm carrying out my Father's instructions right down to the last detail. And then he makes this statement. Now, now get up. And let us go from here. 
Hey, hey, hey guys, I've, I've, I've coached you up. I just gave you my valedictorian address. I, I mean, I, I'm trying to comfort you and let you know I'm with you. Now get up and let's go from here. And you've got to ask the question, where's here? And if they're going to leave here to go there, what are we leaving? Where are they? They're in the upper room, in the upper room there in Jerusalem. It's probably less than a half a mile from where the temple is. And, and so this, this place, we went there a few years ago when we were in Israel to the upper room. And this is where Jesus did a lot of his life coaching and teaching and instructing of the disciples. Remember, even he tells them uh, later, hey, hey, go back to the upper room and stay there until the Holy Spirit comes. We get that phrase in Acts, right? Acts chapter 1. So the upper room was kind of like this little sacred, holy spot where there was a lot of discipleship and teaching and coaching going on. And he goes, get up! And let us leave and go from here. And you got to remember, it's Passover in, in Israel and Jerusalem there. And all these people have flooded in for Passover. And Jesus is about to present himself as the ultimate Lamb of God, the ultimate Passover. And so as they leave here, upper room, and as they make their way over to eventually Gethsemane, and even above that is where the Mount of Olives is. They have to walk through this place called the Kidron Valley. And, and so they start to make their way down this sloped area. And uh, as they're walking through the Kidron Valley, you've got to see it. You've got to smell it. It's spring of the year. I, I mean, and you've got all this blossoming going on. And the olives... The olive trees are starting to blossom and the grapevines are starting to blossom and they're there and they're walking through this area as they make their way over to Gethsemane. And, and as they walk, you can see the temple. The, the temple is probably five, six hundred yards from them. And, and, and the temple is well lit. And man, the, the Jews love the temple. And around the outside part of the door of the temple is this golden vine. And the golden vine was Israel's national emblem and symbol and it was all about we we are God's people and we're God's chosen people and God is all about Israel even the psalmist in Isaiah would say you brought us from Egypt like a grapevine and you drove away the pagan the pagan nations and you transplanted us into your land and you, you you declared and cleared this ground for us and we took root and we filled the land the nation of israel is the vineyard of the lord and God expected a crop of justice, but instead he found oppression. I, I, I pulled y'all out of the, the ruins of Egypt, and I brought you to my land, and I was expecting justice, and I found nothing but oppression, and I expected to find righteousness, but all I found is cries of violence. We're God's people. We're the vineyard. We're it. In Jesus, in Jesus, in Jesus, as they're walking here in this area, Jesus says, uh, right here in this Kidron Valley, around these vineyards, looking over at Gethsemane with all these olive trees, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Do, do, do what? You've told us that you're the way. You've already told us that you're the door. But now in this vineyard, he boldly proclaims, 
I'm what you're looking for. I'm God's chosen one. I'm God's promised one. I, I'm justice and righteousness. I, I meant, guys, everything you've longed for, I am the true vine. You're the true vine. Yes, the nation of Israel is not. No. Isaiah prophesied about me, the prophet. Joel prophesied about me. Micah prophesied about me. Jeremiah prophesied. All, all these prophetic words that were told in the Old Testament that we have were pointing to me. I am the suffering servant. I am a lamb led before the shears. I am the true vine. Now stop. Stop. And where Jesus then goes, change my life. This teaching that I'm about to unpackage and unfold for you, I promise you, it changed my life. I had come to faith. I had come to faith in October of 85. I started going to church. I started hanging around church culture. But it wasn't until about four or five years into my faith journey, this right here changed my life. This whole teaching of abide. Jesus says, hey, uh, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide. This whole concept of abiding changed my entire journey with the Lord. I believe this was the secret of leading me on the path of tapping into what Jesus had promised called the abundant life. I knew I had eternal life, but when Jesus says, I've come that you might have life, and have it to the abundance. Have it full. This was the secret. Abiding. The word abide means to remain with. To hang with. To be in union with. And it implies faithfulness to the Lord and obedience. Abiding is this portrait, this picture of this intimate, close, uh, trusted relationship. It's not this superficial acquaintance, it's deep dependence. So, so, so for me, so th this was the shift. To abide in Jesus meant that I started allowing every word, every saying, every teaching of Jesus. This will fill my mind. This right here is what's going to direct my will. This right here is going to transform my affections. What do you allow to fill your minds and what directs your will, your thinking, emotion, your, the way you do life every day? What is it that has grabbed your affections? And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you the secret to walking a resolved life. It's going to be abiding with me, oneness with me, union with me hanging with me now that being said we are all born into the world two-thirds alive right physically we're alive our soul is all jacked up but spiritually we're dead and as a result 
of how we're all born into the world. Each and every one of us, as we start to make our way through the earlier school years and even into adolescence and teenage years and then to adulthood, I would, I would dare to say that each and every one of us, our deepest need is to feel that we're significant. We just want to feel like we're significant, right? I want to make a difference. I want to have value. I want to add value. I want my life to count. I, I want to have some type of impact or influence in my world. I want to make a contribution. I just want to be somebody. Larry Crabb, one of my favorite Christian counselors, said this. He said, the basic need of each person is to regard himself as a worthwhile human being to be significant. Now the key, the key, the key is how do we go about satisfying that need to be significant? How? How do you go about satisfying that need to be significant? Now, I can tell you, and you've experienced this in your own life, that when it comes to ignoring problems and avoiding problems and trying to suppress problems, it doesn't work. It hasn't worked, it won't work. Ignoring all this stuff, how, 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 how does it work? What's the key? Having an accurate understanding of God's truth is the first step toward moving toward true significance. The first step, the first move, Carl, for us is that we have to know and apply God's truth to our daily lives, which means our problems, our decisions, our choices, whatever. If you go back and study scripture, Satan questioned God's truthfulness. And Eve started this conversation and began to listen to him as Satan questioned the truthfulness of God. And Satan convinced Eve that a greater significance apart from Christ and God could be experienced if she ate the forbidden. That's how this disruption started. You go back. Does Satan, does he have any new schemes? No. Every person will face the same dilemma that Adam and Eve faced. Eve gave into that. Adam just went right along with it. And I'm like, oh, you bought the lie. But every person under my voice, you're going to face that dilemma. Am I going to really know and believe and apply God's truth? Or am I going to listen to Satan's lies and the lies of the world, etc.? They traded truth for a lie. And we do that every day, Steve. That, that's where people get so jacked up. And the tragedy of sin when they disregarded God is that man lost his secure status with God and he began to struggle with these feelings of pride and arrogance, but also with insecurities and despair. And man began to value, man began to value the opinions of others more than he did the truth of God. And this led man uh, on this perpetual search for significance. It robbed man of his true worth. So man has concluded over the years, if I'm going to be significant, it's going to be based on what I accomplish and how others approve of me. That's pretty much where most people land. And you will never find lasting peace if you've got to prove yourself to anybody else. You'll never have the joy of the Lord be central if you feel like you've got to prove to the world. The quest for significance is found only in knowing and abiding in Christ, remaining in union with Connected with deep dependence. What's the secret? Abiding. 
authentic, lasting significance hinges on our life being hit with Christ. Even when the, the writers of Scripture say, I am in Christ and Christ is in me, and that is the hope of glory, that's the secret. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Christ in you is... Now, now, once you start to find true significance that is hidden and buried in your relationship with Christ, I can promise you this, it will always lead to us then making a healthy, a healthy contribution to the wellness of other people, the health of other people, and the benefit of other people. God will never, never, never just do a work in you for your benefit. God desires to do a work in you so that he can do a work through you so that others can see the goodness of God. Jesus, what, what, what did you say? I said, I'm the true vine. And I said, you are nothing but branches. And I said, if you will abide in me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If we abide in his words, and his words abide in us, we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. He'd already established that in John chapter 8. So you've got to say, so how do we abide? What's the secret to abiding? And let me say this before I even unpackage this thought. According to your church marinade, and according to your religious framework, okay, this was a game changer. I came to faith in Christ and believed that, hey, it's all about Jesus. 1985, Jesus, I want to know you. But as I started going to church, I started getting weighed down with performance and pressure and legalism, and you're not going to measure up. I thought the key of experience and abundant life was based on what I could do for God. This, look at what I'm doing for you. I'm reading the Bible. I'm going to church. I, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to give. I'm sharing you now with other people. And God goes, stop it. This is the key. This is the key. Tim, I don't want you living for me. I never ask you to live for me. I just want you to learn to live from me. You can't bring anything to the dance. You see, every time you try to do something for me, you're trying to manufacture it. You're trying to manipulate the outcome. And God says, Cash, do you not realize that fruit don't grunt? <laughs> it is the natural overflow of you being connected. Fruit don't grunt. And I was doing a lot of grunting because the culture that I was introduced to You've got to go share your faith, and you've got to go do this, and you've got to go do that. And Chad, I would just, just feel guilty and shame. I don't measure up. And God goes, I just want you to abide with me. How do I do that? I, just, I, I want you to want to get into the Word because I want to just teach you because I love you. And I, I just want you to, to want to pray and talk to me because I care for you, and I, I want to communicate with you. And, and, and if you understand the value of just worship me in spirit and in truth, man, in song, celebration, this, this is going to help you abide with me. And then you start finding good fellowship of people that are getting freed up in Christ that know how to live from God. And I, I want you to be in healthy fellowship. 
And see, the overflow, Tim, I've saved you unto good works that I prepared beforehand that you should walk in these good works. You, you will want to give and you will want to serve and you will want to love. So here's what I wrote down. To abide means I believe, I believe that Jesus is absolutely trustworthy. Hey, you're trustworthy, you're dependable, you're faithful. I just want to remain with you and stay in union with you. I agree to follow him one day at a time, one moment at a time, no matter what's going on. That's abiding. It's not like I have that five, ten minutes in the morning and I'm like, ah, I got my my word in and now I'm, I'm doing everything in the flesh. He goes, no, that's not the way it works. You're going to trust that my unforced rhythms of grace want to lead you through every step you take throughout the day. When I agree to follow him, what I'm saying is I know everything's not lined out uh, completely, but you're telling me just to take one step at a time, and I'm good with that. You you see, I'm going to agree to allow you to be my way of life no matter what's going on, come hell or high water, because you're Lord, and I'm just hanging with you. And I believe that you're going to give me words to share at times and words to say when I'm in a conversation that I haven't even thought about. I believe you're going to lead me. I believe you're going to guide me. I believe you're going to protect me because all you want me to, all you've called me to do is abide, which means hang with you and just learn to live from you. Do you see how freeing that is? Do you see how freeing that is? Do you see how much pressure he puts on us to walk with him? Missy, that's why he would say, hey, come to me, all of you who are tired, weary, burdened, heavy laden, beat up by religion, and take my yoke, my yoke, my sayings, my teachings, and learn from me, because my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I'm not going to weigh you down. I'm going to free you up, and I'm going to show you how to walk with me. John would later write, and what we have is chapter 17, verse 3. He goes, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. This is eternal life, that they may know you. You're the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. What's eternal life? What's eternity? It's about knowing God in friendship, fellowship, relationship, being with God. Remember... Now, if you were to stand before God today and God should say, Cash, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to him, Cash? Because you're going to go either to heaven or to hell. What are you going to say to him? I don't want to go to hell when I die. This is eternal life. This is eternal life. I want you to know the true God in Jesus Christ to himself. I don't want you walking around in fear like Oh, did I lose my salvation? Did I forfeit my salvation? Did I say something that's going to send me to hell? I want you to know me. I want you to trust me. I want you, I want you just to hang with me. So the two words, I've shared them in the past, but I've got to hit these. The two words for no that are most used in the New Testament is the word oida, O-I-D-A, and the word gnosko. G-I-N-O-S-K-O. Oida. Tell me if you sync up with this one right here. Oida. The word oida in regards to know or knowledge is all cognitive. It's intellectual. It's academic. It's perception. It's head knowledge. Do you follow me? 
There's so many people in the Southern culture, the Bible Belt of what we call the Southeast, that have such little true knowledge of God, they've landed in Oida. They've got this head knowledge, they've got this intellectual concept of. Here, here's the way I would explain it to you. For so many people that have been even around faith and church, Steve, this would be it. They had what they called a salvation experience, right? They prayed a prayer, they walked an aisle, but listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. This is the story of so many I've encountered. Hey, I prayed a prayer, I walked an aisle, but nothing changed. Really? Because you don't find the prayer in Scripture. You find Jesus saying, come follow me. I want you to know me. Abide with me. This is the game changer. You've got for so many other people, they had a a religious experience, right? You joined a church, and we're going to ask everyone to come forward. Fill out that card. Bless God. Amen, brother. Good to have you today. It's good to have the Johnson family joining us here today. But nothing ever changed. You ever seen this happen? I walked this aisle. I prayed this prayer. I jumped through this hoop. I filled out this card. And and, and the oida for so many has been this intellectual experience where you go, I read a few Bible verses and I got a a couple of key facts here. And I even memorized the Romans road, baby. But nothing ever changed. That's the culture in which we find ourselves battling. For so many people, that's what happened. You had this cultural experience, right? You grew up in the Bible Belt, and grandpa and grandma went to church because they gave the land where this church was planted, and we've been going to that church for a hundred years, bless God. But nothing ever changed. There's no difference in the way you live and the pagan lives. Then there's nothing that people would go, that dude belongs to Jesus, man. He's intimately involved. He remains. He abides. The life of Christ can be shown in him. You go, what happened? I just got a little oida. This is eternal life that they may know the one true living God. You see, the true living God invites us to a real personal, authentic, deep, abiding relationship with him. Tell him I love you. I'm for you. Gnosko is all about the heart. It's all about the embrace, the experience. It's all about intimacy. It's complete surrender. I'm starting to know God as a, as a friend as a savior, as the God of the universe, I'm starting to know him experientially, not just intellectually, not in concept, but man, this is transforming who I am. That's how it started for me. Hey, Tim, you've gone through all this stuff now. You've taken these little classes, and those classes are good, and there's some good things that came out of them, but you've been trying to do all this stuff for me, and I want you to learn to live from me. So, so, Tim... You're going to have to surrender. So, so what do you mean by surrender, Lord? It means you're going to have to deliver the power of your life over to me, and you're going to have to move out of the driver's seat. Right? My papa, Cash, had that tag on the front of his car when I was growing up. And it said, God is my co-pilot. And I thought, 
as a young boy. That's cool. Then I got saved and I thought, Papa, you're in the wrong seat. God don't want to be my co-pilot. God wants to be my pilot. He wants to call the shots. I thought that tag was cool until I met God. And I was like, oh, that's kind of misleading. Hey, hey, you're going to surrender. I want you to transfer ownership of everything over to me. Okay. Okay. But it goes back to these hard sayings and these teachings that people would rank as hard. Tim, if you're going to follow me, I want, you got to take care of the poor. You got to tithe plus and live a life of radical generosity. That's just the way we do things here. You start to study the early church of Acts 2 and 4, and they were selling everything they had and was coming together. And they're like, man, we're, we're all in. He's like, that's what I'm saying. So when you start to move to this Gnosko place, it means I recognize the sovereignty of God pretty much in everything, Cindy. Lord, you have complete control. You have the absolute right to do anything you want to do ever, how you want to do it, because you're going to do it for your glory and eventually my good. You're sovereign. Again, God allows things to happen to me so that spiritual growth can happen in me so that eternal things can happen through me. And it's like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm good with what I'm going through. It means that I will embrace whatever assignment you give me. Isaiah even made that statement. Here, here am I, send me. It's almost like Isaiah was saying, Lord, where you lead me, I will follow and see, that's part of experiencing the, this abiding Gnosko relationship with God. I will, I will tell you this, and I promise you this. You cannot stay the way you are and know God. You can't stay the way you are and know God. He doesn't change us from the outside in. He changes us from the inside out. But once you start to know God, cash, you can't stay the way you are and know me. You're drinking like a guppy. You've got to give that up. I know. I've been sedating and medicating with it. You can't stay the way you are and know me. Your language, you cuss like a sailor. I know. Well, I am not going to let you stay the way you are and know me. I'm going to start to clean you up from the inside out. You can't stay the way you are and really know God. He, he comes in and, and he starts to do a renovation of the heart. He does. And, and he's doing it for your good and his glory. This is what I'm going to talk about next week. I'm going to talk about being conformed. Right? He says that everyone God foreknew, he also desired to conform and shape them into the likeness of Christ. I was like, ah, that's what you want to do? Like, yeah. I want to conform you into the likeness of Christ. And all of us grew, growing up, we wanted to be like somebody, right? Man, I want to be the next. And you just fill in the blank of whatever your next was. I want to be blank. And I was like, no, God wants to conform me. I'm like, I wonder how many parents in this room ever sat around and said, you know, for Rachel, for Benji, for Jesse, Hannah, and Caleb, when they grow up, I pray that they're like Jesus. 
That would be crazy. No, I want you to be the next John Smoltz. I want you to be the next cool Mac Powell rock star. No, I want you to be like Jesus. Well, if I'm going to be like Jesus, I can't stay the way I am. And he starts to do this renovation of the heart on the inside. Okay, here's the rest of it. It's practical. He's the vine. You're the branch. Maybe you're a branch. Through faith and repentance, we become branches. Make it your resolve to abide in Christ. I'm going to jog through these. All of my notes will be available. Make it your resolve to abide in Christ. One, I will practice a consistent, quiet time and intimate time with Jesus daily. I will set apart, uh, set apart time, sanctify time, and I'm going to hang with the Lord. Two, when making choices or decisions, I will seek the Lord's guidance first. I'm not going to call Dustin, and I'm not going to call Chad, and I'm not going to call Richard and go, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And then go, or what do you think? I'm going to the Lord first. Those are finite fools on their good day, just like I am. I'm going to the Lord first. Then we collaborate together. What are you, Cash? I'm a finite fool. Three, my relationship with Christ will be motivated by love, not by duty or fear. This is what I wrote down. I'm abiding. As a result of abiding with you, Candace, Lord, I'm not going to be motivated by duty or fear. Four, when God refills a specific area in my life that needs to be changed, I will obey him immediately. Write that down. I'm hanging. Five, I believe Jesus Christ provides the only way for a relationship with God. He's, he, he's not one of many. He's the only. Six, my actions demonstrate a desire to build God's kingdom rather than my own. That's what I want, God. And you've got permission, Dustin and Steve and Nick and Rick and whoever, Ronnie. Your actions are not demonstrating that you're about building God's kingdom. Your actions are demonstrating you're about you. And if we have people that love us enough that go, that's not about the kingdom of God. Seven, peace, contentment, and joy characterize my life, not worry and anxiety. When people hang out with you, it's like, what characterizes their life? They're stressed out. I tell you what, when the joy of the Lord becomes central, it's amazing how he starts to unlock us. And we go, eight, I will trust Jesus Christ to help me through any problem or crisis I face. And in doing so, I will, I will remain confident of God's love and provision for me even during difficult times. If you're watching online, please, I'll send you these notes, info at thecrossloganville.org. We will send you this entire thing, but I want you to write out what your resolve is because God wants us to abide with him. I want you to follow me. I want you to abide with me. I want you to know me. The overflow is going to be love, give, serve, all this. Resolve. I will abide in the word of God. Again, it's the one thread that if you pull it out of my garment, I unravel. This is what I've built my life on. The God of the Word and the Word of God. I will consistently read and study the Bible. 
I'm going to establish a regular time for Bible study and meditation. I, I, I promise you this is, this is so key and essential if you're going to abide with him. If you only get into the word occasionally, Howard Hendricks said, dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. I'm like, well, there you go. Memorize one scripture a week. Our radical mentoring is reading a book a month, memorizing scripture. Do you realize that if you memorized a verse a week and we got to the end of 2022, you'd go, I have memorized 52 verses this year. And you're not doing it to impress others. You're doing it to hide his word in your heart so that you won't sin against him. You're going to memorize something. You're going to watch something. Come on. Where are we at today? What's going on today? I promise you that you're going to spend so much time over the next few hours wanting to hear what Herb Street and Pollock and all the great genius voices have to say going into tomorrow night, 8 p.m., indie baby. I almost did a message today on giving because I figured there'd be a lot of people here interceding for Georgia because they're so desperate wanting to see Georgia win. And I'm like, and I almost like spun some Catholic style thought that we're going to do penance here and raise money so that we could spend more time praying over them, Dustin, and we would sprinkle oil out here just for the Georgia people. And hey, if you're willing to, to enter, just, just pray for Kirby and pray for Stetson. I know y'all want to intercede for $200 right here. We're going to anoint you in your prayers. You know, as well as I do, you start to look at it right now and go, I'm going to give my mind and attention to something. Can I tell you something? If you gave four hours on Monday night to memorizing scripture, you would be in better shape at the end of 2022 than you would sitting there going, here we go again. You got to be stinking kidding me. Young's the best quarterback in the nation. No wonder he won the high. All this stuff. Are you going to watch it? Yeah, I'm going to watch it. But we, get, we give our time and attention to something. That was all humor. <laughs> We're not breaking out. All right, I believe the Bible is God's word, and I believe the Bible, point two, provides direction and stability for my life. As a result of that, I will take notes from the sermons and other Bible studies I attend each week. As a result of that, I'm going to discover at least one or two action points that need to be implemented. Okay? I don't know how many of y'all take notes. I know to my right in this room, there is a maniac note taker. My friend Cindy takes more notes. And when she sends me stuff every week, I read it and I get so fired up. I'm like, that girl, she goes through it. She studies it. She meditates. And you fire me up. I've had Sundays where she's come up to me going, I took six pages of notes. And I'm like, well, I only had three. <laughs> no, but you bless me because I'm like, this girl is a student of the word. And she's diving in. Discover an action point. We talk about this, Dustin. It's one of the keys. It's like, all right, what does the verse say? What does it mean? Then what are you going to do with it? How are you going to apply it? It's, it's there for our instruction to apply. 
I will evaluate, this is crucial, I will evaluate all cultural ideas by the truth of God's word. Whatever arguments the sick media and secular culture is raising up has got to be poured through the word of God. I'm, I will answer all questions about life and faith from God's word. Five, I will replace impure negative thoughts with God's truth. God points out something, you go, man, my flesh has to be evicted. God convicted me, but when the Spirit really convicts, it's always going to lead to an eviction. i got to get out where the Word of God can get in. Here's another one. I will choose to demonstrate honesty in all my actions and conversation. When the Bible exposes an area of my life needing change, I will respond to it immediately. Don't you think this would be noble and like really helpful? If we made this our resolve, and then if you just say the Bible is the way for the way I'm going to do life, it is my guide 24-7. God's word has final authority. So I would encourage you to make that your resolve. I believe God is working all around you right now, and for some people in this room, God is working in you. Because you're open to it. You're not stiff-arming him away. Back to my football Heisman stuff. We're not pushing him away. We're going, God's working around you, but he wants to work in you. And the God that I know and the God that I've served for over 35-plus years, he pursues a love relationship with us that's so intimate and real and personal but he says, hey, now, now you're going to have to repent. You're going to have to confess. And I want you to surrender and yield. And I want you to abide in me. But as you do that, I'm, I'm going to let you know who I am. It's like, oh, I want that. And God will speak through the Bible. He will speak through the Holy Spirit. He will speak through people in your small group, other people, even through the church at times. And God is speaking. God, God is speaking. And he wants to reveal himself and his ways and his will to us every day. I promise you, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. When you walk out and see nature, God goes, I'm speaking. And we have to get our, our, ourselves to a place where we can hear and, and respond and see what God is saying. God wants you intimately involved with him. And I will tell you this. And, and this is the way this thing goes for each and every one of us. In order to really know him and to be intimately involved with him, please, please listen to me. He is going to lead you to what we call a crisis of belief. You're going to have a time of tension and crisis in your life. And you reach this fork in the road where you go, well, I just want to stay comfortable and I want everything to be easy. Or God goes, hey, if you come with me, it's going to be rocky and rough at times. But I promise you, I'm going to grow you up. And this crisis of belief, hey, Tim, you, you can't stay where you are if, if, if you're going to walk with me into the future. And every one of these decisions for me, when it came to getting out of baseball, when it came to moving to Indiana to go with this ministry, when it came to, oh, I think this girl, even though I've never seen her, I've talked to her, I think I'm supposed to marry her. Then take a step of faith. Let's go. Do it. And then moving back to Georgia, it's like I feel like God's wanting me to start this sports ministry. And I will take this step of faith. It's going to require, this crisis is going to require some faith and action. I feel like God wants me to walk away and pastor locally. It's going to require some faith and action. 
And every person I know that's ever experienced like this deeper like union with God has reached this crisis of belief and they said, you know what, I'm going I'm to walk with the Lord. I, I, I'm telling you, it's got to happen. But in order for that to happen, there's going to have to be some adjustments in your life. And God's going to tell you, hey, you got to give that up and you got to weed that out right there. And God will do this renovation. He will do this uprooting to get all this bad stuff out. And he goes, now, now, now you, you've eliminated a lot of distractions. You can focus on me. Have you ever had that happen in your life? And, and then he goes, now, now I just want you to obey me. The resolve has to be, I want to know God. And as a result of, uh, of really knowing God, I, if that's my resolve, I'm going to abide and camp out in word, worship, prayer, communion. I got to surrender. I got to yield the control of my life to someone else. Okay. I promise you this changed my life. Abiding in Christ was the one teaching that absolutely set me on a new path of saying, just hang with me. Okay, just hang with me. And let me do my work in and through you.